Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, thank you to uh, the Rosh Kolo, Rabbi Miller, for the warm introduction. Thank you, Rabbi Berkowitz, Rabbi Nitzen, for the invitation. Thank you, Mrs. Markowitz. And uh, a special thank you to Mrs. Rosenberg for preparing the delicious lunch. Delicious. You know, the lunch takes a lot of pressure off me. If you invite someone to give a speech and there's no food, then the speech better be a good speech, otherwise people are going to say they came out for nothing. But when you have a good lunch, so then it doesn't matter so much what I talk about, if people like it, if you don't like it, at least you came out, you got a good lunch, you got to socialize, you got to be with friends, so thank you very much, Mrs. Rosenberg. I don't feel any pressure right now. We're in the middle of the Aseris Yimei Tshuva, the 10 days of repentance, the Yomim Noroyim, days of fear, days of awe, days of trepidation. As we say in Unasana Tokev, even the Malachim, even the heavenly angels, they tremble as Hashem decides everyone's fate for the coming year. The Yomim Noroyim, awesome days has another connotation. It is awesome days in the sense that it offers us an awesome opportunity. An opportunity which is not necessarily available to us throughout the year. As the Pasuk says, we, we learned this yesterday by Minchan Haftorah, Dirshu Hashem Bi'imotzo, seek out Hashem when He is found. Call out to Hashem when He is close. And the Gemara tells us when is it that Hashem is close? When is it that Hashem is most accessible? Says the Gemara, it's during these 10 days, during the 10 day period which begin on Rosh Hashanah, which culminate with Yom Kippur, during these Aseris Yimei Teshuva. These are days when seeking closeness to Hashem is more attainable. These are days when we can accomplish more than we can throughout the year. These are days where we can climb spiritual heights in a way that we cannot necessarily climb throughout the rest of the year. So these Yomim Noram, these awesome days are awesome in the sense that it gives us a tremendous opportunity. And what I'd like to talk today most specifically is about the opportunity that Yom Kippur affords us. The great gift that is Yom Kippur. And yes, for those looking at me like I'm crazy, yes, Yom Kippur, a fast day notwithstanding, Yom Kippur is a great, great gift. The Gemara tells us in Masechus Tainus, the happiest day, the most joyous day on the Jewish calendar is Yom Kippur. Furthermore, we say in the davening on Yom Kippur, in the middle bracha of the Shemona Esrei, right after we thank Hashem, Hashem who chose us from all the nations, we say, Hashem 
And you, Hashem, gave us with love as Yom HaKippur Mazeh, this day of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is an expression of Hashem's love for us. And then we conclude that bracha, that blessing in the Shemona Esrei. We say, Baruch Atah Hashem. You, Hashem, are the source of all bracha. The Melech Al-Kala Aretz, the king of the world, the Kadesh Yisrael, the Yom HaKippurim, who makes us, who chose us as his people and who gave us the special day of Yom HaKippurim. And how about how we begin Yom Kippur? We come to Shul, Yom Kippur night, the night of Kol Nidre. And of course we begin with the Kol Nidre. And with the conclusion of Kol Nidre, before we begin Mariv, we say a brach, we say a blessing, we say the blessing of Shechionu which I find to be one of the most moving parts of the davening on Yom Kippur. When we recite with great emotion, great intensity, we thank Hashem Shehechiyonu who kept us alive, who kept us alive for us to experience and live through yet another year of Yom Kippur. We begin the Yom Tif of Yom Kippur thanking Hashem Shehechiyonu v'kiyimonu v'kiyonu v'kiyonu who kept us alive, who sustained us and kept us going, so that we could have another and celebrate another day, another year of Yom Kippur. <laughs> now we all know that Yom Kippur is a very special day. We all know that Yom Kippur is a very holy day. The holiest day of the year. A day when we are completely removed from the physical world a day that we spend in shul, davening, praying, repenting, confessing, connecting to Hashem. But we don't necessarily see it as a gift. We don't necessarily appreciate the great gift that is Yom Kippur. What is it that is so special about Yom Kippur? What makes Yom HaKippurim such a great gift? That same Gemara that I referenced earlier, the Gemara that tells us that the most joyous day on the Jewish calendar is the day of Yom Kippur. The Gemara tells us, and why is it the most joyous day? Says the Gemara, because Yom Kippur is a day of slicha umechila. It's a day of forgiveness. It's a day of atonement. And that's what makes Yom Kippur so special, so unique, such a joyous holiday. The fact that it is a day of forgiveness. Which is what we say also in the davening. You Hashem gave us with love. This day of Yom Kippur. You gave us the day of Yom Kippur. For forgiveness and atonement. And again, we conclude the bracha with Baruch Hashem, we thank Hashem, the King who forgives and atones for our sins and the sins of the Jewish people, the King of the world, who is Makadesh Yisrael Yom HaKippurim, who sanctifies the Jewish people and gives us the day of Yom Kippur. So let's talk about why forgiveness is so important. 
why it's such a great gift. And let's first take a step back. Let's talk about what happens when we sin. Why Averos are so destructive so that we could better appreciate the gift of forgiveness. So first of all, we're going to talk about two components of a sin. The first one, which is perhaps the more obvious one. When a person sins, when a person does an Avera, or if Hashem says, I want you to do a mitzvah and we neglect to do it and we don't do it. So what are we doing? We are rebelling against Hashem. We are rebelling against Hashem, who's the master of the world, the creator of the world, the king of the world, the king of all kings. Just like we all understand that if a, a king, a melech, basar, Adam, a human king, gives instructions, he gives a commandment, he gives an edict, and we don't listen. We are rebelling against the king. We all understand what the consequences are. When Hashem gives us His commandments, and we don't follow those commandments, we are disobeying, we are rebelling against the king of the world. And of course, that in and of itself would be a most egregious sin. And that would be a most egregious sin even if the mitzvahs which Hashem commands us to do would not be to our benefit. So let's say it wouldn't be to our benefit to wear tefillin or to light Shabbos candles or to keep any of the Tariyag mitzvahs. Right? Nonetheless, we will be obligated to keep Hashem's 613 commandments because Hashem is the creator of the world. He's the king of the world. He put us on this world. Right? So we have to follow Hashem's instructions. And if we don't follow Hashem's instructions, that alone is an egregious sin. Again, even if all of the mitzvahs that Hashem gives us would not be to our benefit. But there's a lot more to the Torah and the mitzvahs that Hashem commands us to do. Because all of the mitzvahs which Hashem commands us to do are all to our benefit. Every mitzvah that we do, every mitzvah we perform, provides a great benefit to our neshama, to our soul, to our holy and pure soul, which is a piece of Hashem Himself. And every mitzvah that we do provides a tremendous benefit for our neshama. Conversely, every time we avoid an Avera, Hashem says, stay away from this, stay away from that, don't eat this, don't do that. Every time we avoid an Avera, every time we avoid a temptation to sin, we do our soul, again, the biggest favor. We keep our soul pure. But when we sin, again, aside from the fact that when we sin, we rebel against Hashem, but we stain our pure soul. We soil our holy neshama. And when we do that, we distance ourselves from Hashem. You know, why are we here for? Why did Hashem create us? Why does Hashem put us on this earth? The Mesilus Yisharim writes, 
Kirvas Elokim Litov, he quotes Dovra Melech. Dovra Melech writes, Kirvas Elokim Litov, what is good? Closeness to Hashem, that is good. We are here on this world to attain a closeness to Hashem. We are here to develop a relationship with Hashem. To build on and improve our connection with our Creator, with Hashem Yisbarach. This is what we are meant to strive for in everything that we do. In everything that we do, we should measure what we're doing or not doing. Is this going to bring us closer to Hashem or not? Is this going to build and strengthen our relationship with Hashem or not? That's what we are here for. Now, how is it that we could have a relationship with Hashem? How can we have a relationship with God Almighty? with the creator of the universe, with someone who is infinite, someone who is omnipotent, who are we mere mortals that we could have a relationship with Hashem? As we say in every Shemona Eswe, in the third bracha, we say, Ata Kadosh, you Hashem are holy. What does it mean that you are holy? It means you Hashem are separate, you are set apart. You are beyond imagination. You are beyond human comprehension. So how is a human being, a mere mortal, able to connect to Hashem who is holy, to Hashem who is set apart, to Hashem who is distant, to Hashem who is beyond human comprehension? The Torah tells us in the beginning of Parsha's Kedoshim, the Torah gives us the mitzvah, which is somewhat vague. The Torah says, Kedoshim tiyu, you should be holy. We're not going to really go into what that means exactly. There's a big discussion, what does that mean? Rashi has one interpretation, the Ramban has a different interpretation, others have other interpretations. But the Pasuk then continues, and the Pasuk says, Kedoshim tiyu, you should be holy. Why? Ki kadosh ani Hashem because I Hashem am holy. What does that mean? We should be holy because Hashem is holy? Let's give a mashal, let's give a parable. You know, imagine a very wealthy person. Imagine Bill Gates. Bill Gates goes to the bank, he puts in his debit card, and he makes a withdrawal for $10 million. And then he goes out of the bank, he sees a poor person, he sees a beggar collecting some coins. He asks, you know, you have a quarter, you have a dollar, you have... So Bill Gates says, I don't understand. Don't be a fool, just do what I did. Go into the bank, put your card into the machine, $10 million, right? Obviously, if you have money in the bank, right, then you could withdraw money from the bank, right? If you are wealthy like a Bill Gates, then yeah, you could put your card in, right? And you could take out however much money you want. But someone who doesn't have any money so what, you're going to give them a lecture, go to the bank? They'll throw them out, right? You have nothing in your account. They don't give out freebies. They don't give out free money in the bank. So yes, Hashem is, is holy. Hashem is infinite. Hashem is omnipotent. Hashem is the creator of the world, the master of the world, the king of the world. Hashem is holy. We should be holy because Hashem is holy.
You know how it is that we could connect to Hashem? Through keeping Hashem's Torah and mitzvahs. Every mitzvah that we do brings us closer to Hashem. And you know how it works? You know, every time we say a bracha on a mitzvah, we say, Asher you made us holy with your mitzvahs, and then we continue with whatever the mitzvah is that we're doing. Asher right? But whatever the mitzvah is, right, we thank Hashem, right? Barakat Hashem, we thank you, Hashem, right? The God of the world, King of the world, who made us holy with his mitzvahs. You know what that means? That you make us holy when we perform your mitzvahs. Every mitzvah that we do helps to make us holy. Every mitzvah that we do elevates and purifies our neshama, our souls. And the more holy we are, the more holy we become, the more we can connect to Hashem who is holy. So we say, Asher Hashem, you make us holy. Through us doing your mitzvahs, we are then elevated, we become holy, we're now able to connect to Hashem who is holy. When the Pasuk tells us, Kedoshim Tiyu, you should be holy, meaning you should do the kinds of mitzvahs which bring holiness, right? Which again, each Rashi will interpret that in one way, others will interpret that another way. But in a general sense, the Pasuk is telling us, Kedoshim to you, right? You should do the things which bring holiness, perform Hashem's mitzvahs, and bring holiness onto yourself. Ki Kodosh Ani, because I am holy, and the only way for you to connect to me, says Hashem, who is holy, is through you becoming holy. And how do we do that? Through Hashem's Torah and mitzvahs. Through elevating ourselves, through Torah and mitzvahs, through avoiding Averos, that is how we become holy, and that is how we are ultimately able to connect to Hashem Yisbarach, who is the ultimate Kadosh, the ultimate holy. So when a person sins, in addition to the fact that they disobey what Hashem says, in addition to the fact that they rebel against Hashem, but more than that, we harm ourselves. We stain our souls. And instead of bringing holiness onto ourselves, which enables us to connect to Hashem, we contaminate ourselves through our sins. And when we do that, we distance ourselves from Hashem. And that is a second component of a sin. That is another thing that happens when we sin to Hashem. We rebel against Hashem. We disobey what Hashem says. And we would be in violation of that even if the Torah and us were not to our benefit. But beyond that, all of the mitzvahs that Hashem gives us are to our benefit. And when we don't observe those Torah and mitzvahs, when we sin, we sin against ourselves. We harm none other than ourselves. We soil our souls and we distance ourselves from Hashem. And this is why doing Averos is so damaging. Because for, besides for violating Hashem's commandments, we harm ourselves in the most profound way. In the Vidui, that we say many times throughout Yom Kippur, and Nusuch Svar, Nusuch Hari, we say this Vidui 
every day, or at least on days when we say Tachnun, Shachris and Mincha, right? We pound our chest and we say Yoshamnu Begadnu. We go through a whole list. I want to focus on the first two, the first two confessions, Yoshamnu Begadnu. And I saw this idea from Rabbi Solomon, where some of his lectures were printed. In um, he gave a whole series of classes on the work of Rabbeinu Yonah, his Sefer Shari Tshuva. And he quotes a Siddur Hagro who explains these two words of Shamnu Bagadnu as follows. He says that these two words are an introduction to the rest of the confession. And Ashamnu, he says, comes from the word Shemama, desolation, destruction. Bagadnu is to betray. We'll go backwards. We'll start with Bagadnu. When we bang our chest and we say Bagadnu, we betrayed, right? What we're confessing is that when we sin, right, we rebel against Hashem, we betray Hashem, right? So Hashem gives us commandments, right? And we don't listen to them, we don't follow them. We're betraying none other than Hashem who gave us those commandments. But in addition to that, we confess to Hashem and we say, Hashem, Hashem, we have destroyed ourselves. We have soiled and damaged our pure holy nishamas, our pure holy souls that you gave us, our souls which have a piece of you, Hashem, we took that holy special soul and we soiled it, we caused destruction and devastation to our souls. These are the two components to a sin and these are the two things that we introduce the rest of the series of confessions we begin because every sin has two components. There's the component where we harm ourselves. There's the destruction, the desolation, the damage that we do to ourselves. There's the ashamnu, and then there's the bagadnu. And that's true of every sin. When we confess, gazalnu, we stole. What do we do when we steal? We rebel against Hashem who tells us not to steal. And we harm ourselves because Hashem gave us that mitzvah not to steal, right? For our benefit, to improve ourselves, to come close to Him. And when we steal, we distance ourselves from Hashem, Hashamnu, and Bagadnu, we rebel against Hashem, who tells us not to steal. So when we talk about Yom Kippur being a day of atonement, Yom Kippur being a day where Hashem forgives and atones for our sins, could start to appreciate the great gift that that is. First of all, the fact that Hashem forgives forgives us for rebelling against Him. That's a tremendous, tremendous gift. Right? The fact that we rebel against Hashem, Hashem says, don't do this, that, and the other. We do it anyways. Right? And we come to Yom Kippur and provided that we do our part, provided that we go through the necessary steps, right? Provided that we have true remorse and we confess our sins and we accept upon ourselves that going further, it won't happen again and we'll do better next year. So Hashem forgives us for rebelling against Him. And if Hashem would stop right there, that would be a tremendous gift. But not only does Hashem forgive us for this that we rebel against Him, 
But Hashem then goes ahead and He purifies our souls. Hashem undoes the damage that we did to our souls. All the distance that we created from Hashem when we didn't listen to Hashem, when we didn't observe Hashem's mitzvahs, when we disobeyed Hashem. Not only does Hashem forgive us for rebelling against Him, but Hashem, not only that, He purifies our souls. He enables us to once again become holy and He enables us to once again to connect to Hashem. And this is the great gift that Yom Kippur has to offer us. Hashem's atonement, which again has two components, and each one on its own. If Yom Kippur would only atone for one, it would be a wonderful gift. But the fact that Hashem forgives us, and at the same time, He cleanses us, that is the great gift that Yom Kippur has to offer. Provided again, that we do our part in the process of gaining atonement, which is to regret the sins that we did, to confess the sins that we did, and to accept going forward that it won't happen again. And Rabbeinu Yonah does add that just how much Hashem cleanses a sin depends on how sincere we are in our efforts to return to Hashem. How sincere are we in repenting and doing tshuva, right? The more sincere we are, the more Hashem will cleanse. He says, just like if a garment has a stain, there are different levels of how you could clean that stain. You could clean it just superficially, but you could still see it. Or you could really, really do a good cleaning. Says Rebbeinu Yonah, we all want Hashem to thoroughly cleanse our souls, to remove all stains, any stench of Avera, of sin, and if we want that in proportion to our sincerity, to how meaningful our tshuva is, it's in that proportion that Hashem will cleanse our souls. So a superficial tshuva will certainly get us somewhere, but something will remain. But the more sincere we are, the more effort we put in, the more humility we have, the more we put into our hearts and don't just confess and say words, and we don't pay lip service to the words of Yom Kippur but we actually mean what we say and say what we mean. So then Hashem will cleanse completely. In addition to forgiving us for rebelling against Him, but Hashem will cleanse our souls completely as if they, we never sinned in the first place. And when we do that, we regain the purity of our soul. We are able to attain levels of holiness, which once again enable us to connect to Hashem. And this is the great gift that Yom Kippur has to offer. This is why we repeatedly thank Hashem for the gift of Yom Kippur. We continually thank Hashem for forgiving our sins. This is why we begin the holy day of Yom Kippur with a very moving and heartfelt blessing. Of Shehechiyanu v'kiyamanu v'giyanu l'azman hazeh. There are times when we feel somewhat intimidated when it comes this time of the year. And we don't feel as if Hashem is really interested in a connection with us. We may feel Hashem is looking down at us. Look at all the sins I've done in the past year. We feel inadequate. We feel unworthy. 
And sometimes almost to the point where we just give up and we don't even bother. I should bother to go through this whole process. I should bother to try to come close to Hashem. Hashem's not interested in being, being close to Him. He's not interested in being close to me. So I'd like to conclude with a story. My good friends, Anusa Khari, I apologize. I said the story on Rosh Hashanah. But I, I thought it was a great story. And it was a great way to convey this message that we shouldn't go into Yom Kippur feeling as if Hashem is not really interested in us. So let me conclude. Let me conclude with the following story. It's a story which is truly a tragic story, a heartbreaking story. But it's a story with a deep and penetrating lesson which could hopefully transform our perspective and nobody should ever think that Hashem is not interested in me, that Hashem is not interested in having a relationship with me. And no one should ever use that as an excuse not to bother to attempt to come closer to Hashem. There's a big rabbi who lives in Israel, Rabdovin Moshe Braverman. He's a rush yeshiva, he's the head of a yeshiva there. He's very sought after for his sage advice. He's a very good speaker. And he's very helpful to families who are going through challenges, whether it's marital strife or whether it's difficulties with children. And Rav Raverman is approached by someone. He says, Kvod Harav, I hear that you have a reputation for being a powerful speaker. You have a reputation that you're able to help navigate people through difficulties, through challenges. Maybe you could please help me with my son. You know, my son, who was always who was bright, he's smart, he was always at the top of his class. He loved learning. He had wonderful character traits. He was kind, he was compassionate. I couldn't have asked for a better son. In fact, this boy, he finished the entirety of Shas, 2,700 plus folios of Shas at the age of 22. And then something happened. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what the trigger was. But he got involved with the wrong crowd, bad influences. And slowly but surely he drifted away. He left everything behind. He completely left the path of Torah and mitzvahs. He doesn't keep Shabbos. He doesn't pray. He doesn't wear tefillin. Doesn't keep kosher. Nothing. And not only that, he moved out of the house. We live in Jerusalem. He moved out to Tel Aviv. He's not in contact with us. We don't have his phone number. We don't even know where he lives. I wouldn't even know how to get in touch with him. And every morning when I go to the cabinet to take my talus and tefillin and go to shul, go to synagogue to pray, and I see my son's tefillin sitting there, it breaks my heart. He says, Rabbi, I can't take it anymore. Please do something. Please speak to him. Have a word with him. See if there's anything you could do to bring my son back. And Rabbi Braverman says, of course, 
I'll do my best. I'll try to track him down. Which he does. He's able to find mutual friends who know his whereabouts. He gets in touch with him. He says, would you mind meeting me for a coffee? And they go out for a coffee. They meet for an hour or two. And a brave man comes back to the father and he says, I'm so sorry. But there's nothing I can do. This son who you described as kind, compassionate, who is well-respected by his peers, he's angry, he's bitter, he thinks he knows everything, he has no sensitivity to religion, he has no sensitivity for respect for elders, he's disrespectful, he wants nothing to do with you, he wants nothing to do with your religion. And the broken father says, well, listen, I'm not going to take no for an answer. And if you can't help me, then I'm going to do whatever I can to bring him back. And he gets the address of his son. He packs up a few belongings. He goes to Tel Aviv. He sees a park bench in front of his son's apartment. And he sits down on the bench. He says, at some point, my son is going to see me waiting in front of his house. My son is going to see me. He's going to see how much I want to see him, how much I want to say hello to him, how much I want to rekindle our relationship. And there's no doubt when he sees me, he'll be moved by the efforts that I'm taking to locate him, to find him. Certainly will reconnect. He sits down on the bench. He starts praying to Hashem. He notices his son opens the shade, the shade by the window. The son sees his father, and as quickly as he opens the shade, he closes the shade. The son has no interest. He doesn't go outside. He doesn't say hello. He doesn't bring him something to drink, nothing. The father is undeterred. He's going to stick it out. At some point, he's going to come out and say hello. And he says, I'm not going anywhere until he comes and says hello to me. He stays there for one day, a second, a third. For seven days, he sits on the bench, waiting for his son to come out and say hello and to go back home. And after seven days, his wife calls him up and says, listen, I understand how much it bothers us that our son doesn't want any connection with us. But at a certain point, he's old enough to make that decision. We have other young children at home. I need your help at home. You have to come back home. Dejectedly and broken, he comes back home. He goes back to Rav Braverman, who has nothing to say. There's no word of encouragement that you could give such a father. And they hug each other and they cry. And Rabbi Braverman later remarked that this feeling, these emotions that the father has, this is exactly how Hashem feels when we drift away from Him. When we don't serve Hashem properly, when we don't come to shul often enough, 
when we don't study Hashem's Torah often enough, we are not careful with Hashem's mitzvahs. We think that Hashem is angry at us, judging us, wants nothing to do with us. But on the contrary, Hashem sits outside waiting for us. Waiting and longing and yearning for us to come back to Him. Hashem says, just maybe, just maybe now He's ready to come back home with me. Just maybe now He's ready to bring me back into His life. And even if we're not ready to go all the way, but at the very least, we could say hello. We can make a, a, a drink. We could go out to eat with Hashem for a cup of coffee. You know, imagine if, if the father hears that the son would have said hello. He would have come out. But he wasn't ready to go home all the way. So therefore, he didn't even bother to say hello. He didn't even bother to go out for coffee. The father would be incredulous. What do you mean? You're not ready to come home with me. At least let's get together. Let's embrace. Let's get together once in a while. Hashem is longing for a connection with us. There's nothing more that Hashem wants than for us to have a connection with Him. Don't think for a moment that Hashem is not interested. Don't think for a moment that Hashem has given up on us. Hashem loves every single one of us more than we love ourselves, more than we love our loved ones. Hashem never has given up on us and Hashem never will give up on us. Hashem is waiting for us to say hello. Hashem is waiting for us to reconnect with Him. And there is nothing which affords us that opportunity more than Yom Kippur. More than on Yom Kippur, when Hashem not only forgives us for all the misgivings, all the wrongdoings that we did, but Hashem cleanses us. He cleanses our soul. And Hashem enables us to reconnect to Him. He enables us, Hashem Kedushanu to become holy and elevated through His mitzvahs so that we can connect with Him. This is the great gift that Hashem gives us on Yom Kippur. And with Hashem's help, we will all make the most of this great gift. We will all do our part so that Hashem in turn will do His part. Hashem should forgive us all. Hashem should cleanse us all. And we should all merit to taste the sweetness of what it means to have a relationship with Hashem, to have a connection with Hashem. Thank you for listening.